0: Ah, bye weeks are just the best, aren't they? You have all Saturday to do what you want. You run some errands, do some chores, hit the golf course before the weather turns. You know, take a break from all the football you've been consuming for the last four weeks. On the flip side, your favorite team gets the week off too. That 90,000 seat stadium on campus, it's better when it's empty. All the players on the team that are banged up, they get to rest up for the extra week too. You're telling me I get an extra five days to prepare for Iowa State on October 7th? Oh baby, sign me up. Yep, if I'm being honest, bye weeks are just the best. I mean, 20 game weeks of college football are already too much. It's not like I sit in my ass for the other 32 weeks of the year just waiting for the season. On a random April Saturday morning, my mind almost certainly does not wander to a crisp, sunny fall morning tailgating on campus. On a Tuesday evening in August, while watching a baseball game between two basement dwellers, my mind is racing with numerous thoughts. None of which have anything to do with thoughts of the college football season almost being here, after a painfully long offseason. Yes sir, let me tell ya. Sooner fans, we finally made it. We made it to the bye week. I hope your upcoming weekend is as productive and exciting as mine. I'm definitely not already looking ahead to October 7th. Nope, no siree. This Saturday, we get a break from our Oklahoma Sooners. One we're for sure, 100%, no sarcasm detected at all, looking forward to. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Notre Dame
1: looking for a big stop. Bell looking for a first down and he's got it. And on the loose is
0: Sterling Shepard.
1: Lake Bell to Sterling Shepard on September the 28th, 2013, welcomes us into the this edition of West of Everest. That 54-yard touchdown would lock up a 35-21 Sooner victory over number 22 Notre Dame in South Bend. Grant that game took place in Week Five of the 2013 season. With the Sooners off this week, we're highlighting one of the more memorable plays of recent Sooner memory, and with that. How's it going today? And uh, I, I got to commend you for that totally unsarcastic opening
0: take. Yeah, Lee. I don't know if this came off very well in my little opening take there, but I'm not really a huge fan of bye weeks. I, I I don't know if that came off. You don't say. Well. Yeah. Um, and so yes, yeah, so before we get any, you know, any, uh, you know, mean mail or anything like that. No, I don't think we should get rid of bi weeks or anything like that. I realize that they're that they're productive and that they're needed, but I mean, I'm. I'm kind of a selfish human being, and I I kind of want my Sooner football on a Saturday. I wait pretty much all year for it. So it's just uh, four weeks into the season, and we already have one. I get, a little, I get a little antsy. That's all, Lee.
1: Well, you have people like Lincoln Riley, who's a pretty important member of the Oklahoma Sooners football program, saying that it's a great time for a bye week, and so I tend to agree with him with all the injuries that Oklahoma has had. Grant, do you have any – extra thoughts that you've kind of thought of the last few days about that Baylor game from last week, you know, you and I went over it in quite deep, quite a lot of detail on Monday, but does anything else stand out to you that you weren't able to get to?
0: Yeah. I I just hope as the week has gone on, I think I I hope everyone has just kind of taken, taken a bit of a breath and realize that you know the, the, the sky is still up; it's not falling. You know the sun came up the next day. It really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I would theorized the exact day after, and I, and I was still waiting for for some of the advanced statistics for the game to come out. And I just I did want to mention one of the big things um, that I said uh, the day after the game was it, it really felt like that Baylor actually outside of the the big plays wasn't particularly successful on offense uh one of at least uh, you know on a play to play basis one of my favorite uh, advanced stats in college football is uh is the success rate and it's it's exactly you know what it sounds like it's how, how many plays uh, do you run that are successful out of all of them And it's just a percentage um well for for that game uh Baylor's success rate Lee was 34% on offense uh which means only 34% of their plays were successful that is consistent with a good defensive performance um and so uh, there's not a whole lot of statistical analysis that says big plays are uh, basically they're, they're kind of an outlier. They're, they're unpredictable. You never know when they're going to happen. Um, and I, I think that just the, the stats for that game just just really kind of jive to what we were all feeling about it, which was that it was just a really weird game. And I think it's one that, you know, come the end of the season when you're when you're kind of uh, summarizing the entire body of work, I think it's one that you're going to be able to just throw out of the equation.
1: Sure. Yeah, we could throw it out of the equation if big plays don't become a trend for the Oklahoma defense, sure. which through the first through the first three games, they were not a trend at all. Oklahoma, I think, maybe gave up like one long run as a big play before that Baylor game. So yeah, potentially it was an outlier of a game. And um Hopefully, it's not a sign of things to come for Oklahoma's
0: defense. Yeah. So, for, for instance, like a, a big, big explosive plays are usually more apparent of the offense rather than the defense. So, for instance, last year OU's offense was incredibly explosive, and there's a statistic for that. There's an explosive explosiveness statistic for that, which OU I'm pretty sure was number one in the country last year. Um, it, it explosiveness doesn't necessarily have to do with the defense that you're going up with. It's more of an offensive thing. To drive that home just a little more. Oh, yeah, we get it. Okay. Uh,
1: (laughs) Well, Lincoln Riley met with the media Tuesday this week after practice, did not meet on his normal Monday. Big news out of Lincoln Riley's availability is that he said that he does expect Jordan Thomas to be fine. Riley also expects Will Johnson to be back for Iowa State and is hoping that Robert Barnes is back for Iowa State as well. There is no word, though, on Matt Romar or Curtis Bolton, but – that's a lot of defensive players that have positive outlooks moving forward to Iowa State, Grant. And I got to say, I'm excited to see Will Johnson back in the starting lineup for the Oklahoma Sooners. And it's nice to also to see that uh, Jordan Thomas seems like he is okay after going down with what appeared to be an ankle or some sort of foot injury in the second half against
0: Baylor. Yeah, especially with uh, with the depth hits that they've taken there. Jordan Parker getting hurt in fall camp, or uh, not in fall camp. Sorry, the the very first game of the season yeah it's just nice to see that they're not going to have to throw out a, a, a true freshman out there it, it looks like uh, it, was, it was Trey Norwood and Trey Brown getting uh, getting the reps when, uh, when, when Thomas exited the game on Saturday night so, so that, that, that's a nice thing that they don't have to worry about also with Will Johnson was playing at a really high level uh, before he got hurt halfway through the Ohio State game I, I'm, and not to say that uh, who, who has been in his position it was Robert Barnes who played the second half of that Ohio State game did well Khalil Hotton um, has played the last two games and I thought has played well. Um, but but Will Johnson is kind of a, a, a steadier player back there. I'm excited to see him back. He's, he's just solid.
1: One more note as far as the Oklahoma defense goes. Amani Bledsoe is eligible to play against Iowa State. His suspension is up, so the defensive line for OU gets a little bit of a boost there as well. So with a bye week, Here, as Grant pointed out so eloquently to begin the show, we decided that we're going to look back on our preseason predictions. Now, we're only a third of the way through the regular season, but since it's the bye week, we're not going to have a whole lot of chances to really look back at this throughout the year because we're going to be talking about all the other upcoming opponents that OU will play. Figured now is a good time to see how our predictions are looking a third of the way through the season. So, Grant, how do you feel about that,
0: by the way? Do you think this is a good idea? I think it's a good idea, mostly just because I think we're going to – you'll see as we go through them, we, 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 we're kind of right on about some of them and we not so much about others. But I don't know. I, I think it's going to at least uh, – it, it's, it's going to at least create some stimulating discussion, and that's never a bad thing. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it, I suppose, uh, moving right along to the first category – that we talked about back in uh, our very first show, our season preview show. We predicted who OU's leading rusher will be. And Grant, you took Abdul Adams and I took Marcellus Sutton. And through a third of the season, your prediction looks pretty spot on
0: while I am uh, regretting my call. Yeah, and you should I mean that was a it was a terrible call to begin with. You should be ashamed of yourself.
1: That's um. ridiculous. No, no what? <laughs> Yeah, because I'm sure I'm sure both of us also had Trey Sermon as the uh, second leading rusher at this point too, and, right?
0: And see, that's where I can—that's kind of where I can come in, uh, come into play here because I believe I was the one who said Trey Sermon really wasn't going to amount to much this season. I believe, so I'll you know I'll I'll take my licks too. That's okay. So I was I, I was right on about about the first guy, but I think I definitely had Sermon uh, firmly in fourth place in the pecking order of the running back. So I, I was clearly wrong about that.
1: Through four games, Abdul Adams has 334 yards rushing, two, uh, two total touchdowns,
0: and he has averaged 10.3 yards per carry. Is that right? That's good. Is that a typo? That is not a typo. 32 carries, 334 yards. That sounds like 10.3 to me. Of course, that helps when you have a 99-yard touchdown run.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Trey Sermon, second leading rusher for OU, 288 yards rushing on 43 carries. He's already got four touchdowns total this year. And then my guy, Marcellius Sutton, in third right now with 125 yards on the ground. Rodney Anderson, only 11 carries for 36 yards so far this year, Grant. And um, I think going into the season that you and I, we weren't super high on Rodney Anderson, but we certainly didn't expect him four games of the year to be at the bottom of this running back pecking order. And, and I guess I'm sure if you would have told us, a month ago, that four games into the season, Rodney Anderson would be the fourth leading rusher on OU. We'd both probably say, "Oh, he he got injured again. Mm-hmm. He's banged
0: up again." But he's, as far as you know, he's fine. Yeah, he he looks fine. In fact, when he's out there and he actually gets the ball in space, he looks pretty explosive. <laughs> yeah. um, so maybe he, his time yeah. is coming soon. <laughs> yeah, it might. But he, I guess, you know, when when they when they hand him the ball, you know, when the quarterback hands him the ball, it doesn't seem like he's got a lot of running room. Um, I, I think. Uh, Adams and Sermon have have clearly separated themselves from everyone else I think they're going to be the two the, the two guys going forward I think it's funny with Rodney Anderson if you would have just put Rodney Anderson's name in front of Trey Sermon's stats I would have been like yeah that's that's pretty believable for you know if 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 <laughs> if, 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 if you would have showed me that you know before the season I'd have been like yeah I, I believe that I can buy that with with Rodney Anderson but but lastly it is not the case
1: all right how about OU's leading receiver you and I both predicted that Jeff Badette, the Kentucky grad transfer, would lead OU in receiving at the end of the season. So far, it's a tight end, leading OU in receiving with Mark Andrews, 16 catches for 305 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Then the freshman C.D. Lamb, number two, 281 yards and three touchdowns. And then Jeff Badette comes in at third. So we still have a shot of being correct on this one, Grant. Jeff Bidette's... Less than a hundred yards behind Mark Andrews, but uh, it's been a pleasant surprise all the way around though for this receiving core.
0: Yeah, Lee, I think I, I think the O.E. receivers have been, um, you know, obviously they're a huge question coming into the season. They've, they're, I, I think they're pretty, uh, they're pretty obviously a, a strength of the team. Um, in fact, it's, it's weird how that's kind of happened. Everyone was, uh, was really. You know, kind of questioning the running back and the wide receivers this year. I think they've both turned into to pretty major strengths. I think they're. Um, I, I don't think it's it's ridiculous to say that they're both top ten units in the country. Uh, the running back and receiver units. Um, with uh, Lee, Lee, what do you think? Do you think uh, do you think Bedette is going to end up being the leading receiver on the team at the end of the season? I think it's possible.
1: It certainly is possible. But if I had to reassess my prediction at this point, I. I'd have to, I'd take CeeDee Lamb. I think he's gonna lead lead the team. I mean, and, and that's you know what? I mean, it's probably gonna be Mark Andrews if Mark Andrews plays a full season. But with his history of injuries, he's already missed a little bit of time so far this yep. year, at least half that Ohio State game, it's tough to predict him to play a full season. If he has to miss a game or two, hopefully he does not. Uh I could definitely see CeeDee Lamb being the main guy.
0: Yeah, I I think if, if Andrews, you know, doesn't miss a game the rest of the season, he he probably is gonna be the guy. But we're at the point now where it certainly wouldn't surprise me if if Lamb is the guy. I think in terms of receivers, he he does seem like he's Baker's go-to guy. Um, and of course, the I mean these guys are all pretty close anyway. Andrews, Lamb, Badette and Brown are only you know they're they're all separated by less than a hundred yards. So any of these guys could could explode and have a big season. Um, another guy Lee I put in the rundown um, on the receiving game was Dimitri Flowers because I just wanted to give him a shout out. He's got nine catches this year for 168 yards and two touchdowns. Um, he's right now the fifth leading receiver on the team. And I'm actually going to throw out, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Assuming that that flowers is not there, like in that fifth spot at the end of the season, who do you think would, would, would if, if there's anybody to overtake him in that spot in terms of, of receiving yards, who do you think it would be?
1: Let's see. Cause Marquise Brown is, is right above flowers. Um, you know, if I had to say anybody who, um, I'll go first. i haven't. S- I'll, I'll go first oh, just to okay
0: jog your mind. I was going to say Michael Jones. I think Michael Jones at some point in time this year is going to oh. kind of break out. That, that's just I have no inside information. It's just it's a feeling, and you know I get these feelings. I had the feeling about the Baylor game. I have a feeling about this. I think Michael Jones is going to have some some uh, some big games coming up here soon in the second half of the season.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't go with Michael Jones, although he he did flash and he had a couple big time catches against Ohio State. I guess I would say Lee Morris. I think I could see Lee Morris jumping back into our lives here at some point and being a contributor down the stretch.
0: I like that because I think, yeah, Lee Morris is a guy who, I mean, I think he's only got the two catches this year, and they're both touchdowns, um, but uh, two two huge plays. He's a, <laughs> yeah, he's, and you know, they, they were long plays, so he's he's actually not that far behind Flowers. But yeah, Lee Morris is a guy I have a lot of hope for just because, um, one, he's already had a knack for big plays, and two, he just looks like a really big body out there. He looks like a... He, I'm not saying that you know he's the quality of this type of player, but he has the physical attribute. He he looks like an NFL receiver out there, so I, I that, that's cool. I, I, he's a younger guy too, um, so I, I'm glad you brought up Lee Morris. He's a guy who I think is is a really good depth option and a guy who you know if he's your sixth or seventh option and he's already got two touchdowns this year, you know you're not in a bad place there as a team for sure
1: actually too I feel like I'm shortchanging Jordan Smallwood I think he's certainly another player Oh cuz yeah he's been be.
0: yeah and he's been playing on he's played well this year He's playing a lot he's playing yeah, well yeah he's played well
1: Let's move on to the defense uh, we both predicted that the leading tackler for OU this year would be Caleb Kelly and a month ago didn't that seem like a an obvious Oh that's a prediction obvious yeah I mean it would have been it would have been kind of like one of those scenarios where you're just trying too hard if you had to pick somebody else well <laughs> Four games into the season and it's Emmanuel Beal leading the way with twenty nine tackles. Caleb Kelly's way back, Grant, sixteen tackles. You have Oboe at twenty-five, uh, Kenneth Murray, the freshman's at twenty-four, Steven Parker with nineteen, and Parnell Motley with eighteen. So you and I were are, are both way off on the leading tackler at this point.
0: Yeah, Caleb Kelly is sixth on the team in tackles. And you know, granted, he's he's not far behind Emmanuel Beal. Um, you know this this uh, this defense hasn't really racked up the tackles. You know in the, the they've played two-lane in UTEP both both of you know both of which were not on the field a ton. The they didn't run a lot of plays, so not really that surprising that they don't have huge tackle numbers. Um, I, I do just want to point out that Obo is, is the second leading tackler, and he really has been playing up near the line of scrimmage. So I think you know he's been kind of a glorified defensive end. So uh, that's pretty impressive that you have a defensive end basically you know second on the team in tackles. He's got seven and a half tackles for loss. Uh, that's that's really good that that's good if you know if, if he keeps that pace up he's I think he's going to be the easy defensive big 12 player of the year he, he's he's had a great season up to this point
1: and Oboe we both predicted that he would lead the team in sacks no surprise there and so far through four games Okoronkwo does lead the team in sacks with four and a half Kenneth Mann with two and a half right behind him would never have guessed that. Never at this have guessed point that. Of the
0: year. I never. He, I don't think he was a guy that we have we mentioned once. We didn't once. mention his name. Mm-mm.
1: No. Mm-hmm. So th- no surprise there as far as sacks go. Back to the offense. This was a fun category, I thought, because obviously the most important player on Oklahoma's offense is Baker Mayfield. So we asked the question, who's going to be the most important player on the Sooners offense aside from Baker Mayfield? And, in the preseason, Grant, you took Mark Andrews, and I cheated a little bit and said the entire offensive line. So now if you had to answer that question again, Grant, would you have the same answer as Mark Andrews or would you change your answer?
0: I wouldn't because I think you know they, they, they had their best offensive half of the season uh, against Ohio State without Mark Andrews. Um, I, I, I still think Mark Andrews is, is their best option in the passing game. Um, but I, I just think how everyone else has stepped up in that, in that receiving core, they they can get by without Mark Andrews. And, and Grant Grant Calcaterra has shown um, an ability to step up if he needs to. Mark Andrews is still an important player. I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea about that. Um, but I just think someone has been more important up to this point. Um, and, Lee, that player has been Dimitri Flowers. I think he has... Uh, he's established himself as Baker's. Uh, he's he's kind of the go-to guy. He's he's the sa- he's a, he's the safety net, and I think that's really important right. on offense. And and uh, man, Dimitri Flowers can ball, man. He he's a really good football player. And th- it seems like OU has kind of had just this winning streak of you know that that kind of hybrid fullback position where they've just they've had a really good player there for I mean for almost ten straight seasons now. It's crazy.
1: Well, I think the offensive line still is the most important spot besides Baker Mayfield, and I'm still cheating on that. I would have to agree with you if I had to, to to answer that question again and just name one specific player. It's certainly Dimitri Flowers. And I feel like a jerk for not really talking about him a whole lot during the preseason, and he's flashed so much in the first four games of the season. And I'm actually – very intrigued by his future past Oklahoma because I want to see if he's a guy that could actually have some sort of role in the NFL and I'm not not really sure where he'd play I mean he plays tight end a lot for OU I could see him somehow playing tight end if he gets on the right roster I mean there's not a lot of fullbacks anymore in in the NFL but he's a player he's such a good football player like you said he'll definitely have a shot to make a team
0: that's exactly kind of what I was what I was thinking of too because he's so good catching the ball out of the backfield uh, I mean, like, like really good, like he, he's when, when he catches the ball, it's I don't want to say it's exactly like this. But, you know, when you see, you know, Lee, when you see like Gronk catch a ball and he just kind of like swallows it and he, it just it just never really looks like he's in any sort of danger of of dropping it. Like it, it's almost like the ball catches, you know, the ball catches his hands and not the other way around um yeah that's that, interesting that's, way that's, to put it that, that's kind of that's kind of what Demetriou Flowers looks like out there he's just reliable catching the ball and um I, I know from from a height uh a height perspective he's probably not a pro typical NFL tight end but in terms of how thick he is and how how big he is I, I think he could definitely hold up in that position because he's definitely gonna block well and he's gonna catch he, he's, he's gonna catch the ball just as well as any you know any middling tight end in the league so I, I think you know, I, I think there's always spots in the NFL for just really good football players, and Demetri Flowers is just, a, is just an awesome football player. I, he's, he's fun to watch.
1: Back to the defensive side of the ball, most important defensive player. Grant, you predicted it would be Neville Gallimore, and I said Kenneth Murray because of how important it was to shore up the middle of the field. So if you were asked that question at this point in the year, one-third of the way through the regular season, Grant, who is the most important defensive player now?
0: It's, it's Parnell Motley. And then like, it's not even really remotely close. Like as far as I, well, I guess it, maybe it's a little, it, it's, re, it's remotely close with him and uh, with him and Oboe. Um, but Parnell Motley is the best player on this defense, in my opinion. I'm, I, I don't even, in that, in that, in that respect, I don't think it's particularly close. Parnell Motley is just a very good player.
1: He's the best player on this defense when you take into account how poor the secondary was last season and just having a player of his caliber lock up one side of the field to go along with Jordan Thomas, who did have a bad game against Baylor, but for the most part, he's a good cornerback. He's not a bad cornerback. So you have another player like Thomas on the other side of the ball who can play well. That just creates so many opportunities for the rest of the defense to make plays because they know that two sides of the football, especially on Motley's side – Is going to be taken care of. Mistakes will not be made if 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 really. I mean, everyone makes mistakes, but very few mistakes will be made. So, I think in that in that sense, that's why he is yes the most important player on this defense.
0: Yeah, and I I don't want that to be a slight against Obo either because I you know I think he's probably having the best season of anyone on this defense statistically. And like I already said, I think he's he's uh, as of right now he's he's got to be the favorite to be the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. But man, Piot. Parnell, if you're listening man, you're the defensive player of the year in my heart, man, in my heart. What was it? Was it Pmot? Uh P-Mott, what what, what, D- what it's the DC Island. DC Island. DC Island, that's it. Yeah, man, he's I I haven't had I haven't had as much pleasure watching the cornerback position, you know, on the SOU team since since Aaron Colvin was here. So I'm I'm glad I'm glad Peanut uh P-Mott's back there. He's he's a lot of fun to watch.
1: Our next category on the offensive side sleeper impact player on offense and also sleeper impact player that was going to be or I guess sleeper let me start over sleeper impact player on offense and then also just impact freshman on offense okay so for the sleeper impact player Grant you took Marcellius Sutton I took Marquise Brown I'm feeling pretty good about my pick at this point.
0: Yeah, and you know, i i threw the I threw the freshman in there. As just kind of a just to toss them together because, um, you know, I, I took Marcellius Sutton. I you know, I think he could still be you know a, a sleeper type player uh, as, as the season progresses. Marquise Brown, I, I think you you almost nailed it with yours. But I think you know, looking back now, if we had to re pick it now, I think that the two obvious are uh cd lamb and trey sermon trey sermon being kind of the more obvious one at least at least in me who for me kind of came out of nowhere trey sermon is i mean it's so weird to say it now especially because a month ago there was just so much unknown but now it looks like it's like trey sermon and abdul adams in the backfield look like two of the best running backs in the country and it's just it's just so weird that it's that it's worked out that way
1: yeah we both said the impact freshman offense would be cd lamb and and that's proven to be true on the defensive side of the ball Sleeper impact player Grant, you took Chance Sylvie, and I took Mark Jackson, and so both of those guys haven't really seen a whole lot of. Well, they've seen playing time, but it's not like we've really talked about them both very much. Um, so I feel like the jury's still out on this one. It, I think it, I, we both could be right, but we also could be kind of I don't know. Wait, wait and see.
0: We may have done really well on this one because maybe they do because they've both played a lot you know not not like starter snaps uh, but they both played a lot and they both played well when they have played so they they certainly have been liabilities they've actually been i feel like they've been you know a plus to the team when they've been out there they've been good so maybe that's actually perfect sort of in like that that sleeper qualifier that we gave um but really i think um you know someone else has really kind of came out of nowhere and is actually you know um outside of uh outside of oboe if you want to put him there, has actually been the best player in the defensive line for the Sooners, and that's Marquise Overton. Uh, Marquise Overton's been outstanding. And if you actually go back and watch the game against Baylor, he—I mean, he—there were times in that game where he was physically dominating that game. Um, and if if that's something that we're going to see the rest of the season, that's—I mean, that's a good thing. Yeah, I, th- I feel like Overton's been a better player this year than Gallimore.
1: And I want to highlight another player on that defensive line that hasn't really gotten a whole lot of attention this year, and that's defensive end DJ Ward. The senior has been starting, been playing a lot, and he just does his job. He doesn't make any flashy plays, but he keeps contained like the defensive end's supposed to do. And every time you watch him play, it just seems like he doesn't really he doesn't really make a mistake to where a team is able to make a big play on his side to where the quarterback or the running back gets too far away or outside where he's supposed to contain. And I think DJ War has played really well so far this season.
0: And um, don't be surprised, too. He's hes a guy who I think, uh, w- with Imani Bledsoe coming back, he's hes not going to play as many snaps. I think he's still going to be the starter there on that defensive end. Um, but I i think he's going to get his his snaps cut a little bit with Imani Bledsoe coming back. Imani is a player. I think a lot of people forget how well he played uh, last year in spurts. Uh, he's a young guy. He's an NFL body. He's a huge, huge guy. Um, maybe I, I'm, I'm going to take kind of a, a – a, a different look at this and i'm going to say dj ward is actually going to really benefit from not playing as many snaps um i think you know he he, he could come out and he could just uh, he could be more well-rested and you know he could get after the court, uh, get after the quarterback a little more with you know not playing as many reps
1: so those are all the individual player themed predictions that we made and that we've gone over and, and kind of Talked about where we are at this point of the season. Now on to the more team-oriented goal, and of course, that's just what Oklahoma's final record was going to be. Always a fun prediction to make. Grant, before the season began, you predicted OU would go 10-2, and and I predicted OU would go 11-1. and So we'll start with you, Grant. You can kind of give your side of this story. 10-2. and has your prediction changed at all? Do you or do you still think Oklahoma will finish the year ten and two, the regular season?
0: Yeah, my prediction has changed. You know, I, I went into with that prediction, assuming that they were gonna lose in Columbus to Ohio State, um, and just lose some random big twelve game along the way. Um, I'll just to just to be consistent. I'll I'll still say they are going to lose some random Big Twelve game along the way. I, I don't know which one it's going to be. I haven't gotten one of those weird feelings yet. Um, but I will amend my prediction as of right now to eleven and one, which was you, which was what your prediction was at the beginning of the season.
1: Well, yeah, my prediction was eleven and one with the only loss being in Columbus. I thought Oklahoma would lose that game to Ohio State, but win every other game, and so now Oklahoma's four and zero with a W in Columbus. So you would think? Oh, you assume they're going to go twelve and zero now because they got by the one game that you predicted them to lose. Well, that would be that would make sense, I guess. I should probably just stick with it, uh, but I'm going to go with eleven and one based on the fact that that Baylor game was so wonky, and Oklahoma showed showed that that they're not world beaters yet. Uh, a team like that, even though we have discussed that it was a little weird, a team you know that that I that I feel comfortable predicting to go twelve and zero doesn't doesn't I guess get to the fourth quarter with it being questionable against Baylor. And, so all, and also, and I'll stick with eleven. And that's and what to
0: say. I mean, uh, you know, every every national championship team has close calls, um, but that doesn't mean every national championship team or any any you know any team that once win a national championship. It's just it's so hard to go twelve and zero. And it just, it just doesn't really ever happen that much, even for national championship teams. Um, in the three years of the playoff, we haven't had one undefeated champion. The uh, Last undefeated champion we had in college football was was 2013 Florida State, I believe. It's 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 just a rare occurrence. You just you don't you don't see a lot of teams going wire to wire and, and winning every game. And so I think, I, I I think it's just safe to assume that they're probably at least going to drop one along the way. Well, before
1: Grant and I talk about the Big Twelve and the rest of college football, and Grant, are we doing our top ten today?
0: We are doing are we our doing top ten.
1: Top I, I, I threw it in there. Yeah. All right, we're going to do top ten as well. I want to remind you that West of Everest is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please go ahead and leave a rating and a review on iTunes. That lets us know that you're enjoying the show. Also, if you'd like to contact us, you can email the show. The email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, that is westofeverest at gmail.com, or you can find Grant and I on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9, and Grant is at Grant Benson 25, at Grant Benson 25. So one of the Big 12 predictions we made earlier in the season, and we'll revisit them now that we're four games into the year. The first question, the first category, if you will, was which Big 12 team will be better than people think they are? And Grant, you said Iowa State. And I said Kansas, and my reasoning for Kansas wasn't there were they weren't going to finish in the middle of the pack. I just said they wouldn't be a doormat anymore, but so far through f- the first four weeks of the season, KU does look like a doormat.
0: yeah, you were wrong about that they're definitely still a doormat uh, they've got, got they've been blown out by a Mac team they they put up a little two Mac teams two Mac teams yeah I'm sorry um they did put up a little bit of a fight against West Virginia on Saturday ended up losing by three touchdowns big surprise um but man, can't that's just why would anyone ever accept a head coaching job there? You got to really like challenges.
1: <laughs> yeah, at this point, David Beatty is, I'm sure, looking for other positions. Um, he'd never been a head coach before. He was a receivers coach at A and M, so he was like, you know what? I'll take a head coaching job, see what happens. And so far, just it hasn't turned out the way I'm sure he would have hoped it to be. But on your end, Grant, Iowa State, not. Not great, not terrible. Kind of. What are they? Two and two. Uh,
0: They're two. They're two and one. They were off last week. Oh, they're off. Okay, two and one. So the only loss was to Iowa. The loss was to Iowa in overtime by three. Um, And I don't think we really know how good Iowa is yet. So I think I think it's safe to say that Iowa State is better than last year. But maybe not to the point of well you know where I said better than people think I think I think a lot of people expected them to be kind of in that five to six to seven win range anywhere between there and um, competing for a bowl game and I think that's squarely where they are right now um, so I'll, I'll take I'll take a little bit of credit for that but I, I think they're they're probably right around where people expected them to be
1: and of course we'll learn a lot more about Iowa State next week when we start preparing f- for the Cyclones watch more film on them Grant who who had who is the big 12 team so far that has been better than people think.
0: I think it's pretty obviously Texas tech. Um, They they had a huge win on Saturday. They went on the road and beat Houston um, and they gave up less than 30 points and won a game (laughs) on the road. Um, They won by three points. So, you know, hats off to Texas tech is, I I think I saw an article. I I didn't read it. I just saw the the headline, Um, but the article was titled um, is Texas tech is Texas tech finally not terrible on defense. (laughs) <laughs> and and you know i they've you know they've they've already put you know put together some decent defensive performances you know relative to the last season this year they've you know they've beat arizona state and houston they got two pretty decent non-conference wins um but to answer the question posed by the article i i have a feeling once they get into big 12 play that the defense is probably still going to be atrocious i i, I know i'm going out on a limb there but you know until i actually see them do it against a big 12 schedule i'm, I'm going to go ahead and assume they're they're probably one of the, one of the worst defenses in the, in in the country again, but Hey, I'm, you know, I'm more than willing to be proven wrong in big 12 play.
1: You and I predicted that Texas would be the big 12's most overvalued team. As far as what the media and the national, the national scene are predicting Texas was ranked in the top 25 to start the season and immediately was beaten by Maryland. And so both of us, both of us look pretty accurate when it comes to predicting that Texas was being overvalued.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, there's, they're getting credit for for their decent performance at USC a couple of weeks ago, and you know we we have no idea how good USC is. I think you know their their results have been all over the map. Um, we don't really know if they've played any good teams yet. So um, Texas, I, I still think they're pretty talented. They they, they did flash some talent um, against, especially on defense against USC, and they they do have a they have a receiver um, that that's that slightly scares me a little bit. Um, Colin Johnson, I believe, is his name. But other than that, they're they're still they're still incredibly limited at quarterback. Um, Sam Ellinger was the, was the guy who started for us or uh, started against USC a couple weeks ago. He did not impress me at all. Um, he's a guy who who's not really able to to force the ball downfield at all. Um, if if I'm Texas and they they want to win some games this year, I'm I'm praying for uh, for Shane Bouchot to get healthy.
1: Yeah, we didn't talk much about that USC Texas game because we didn't have much time. But real quickly, I will uh, parrot that thought on. Ellinger and the Texas offense that offense is so bad Texas is and USC's defense is not very good and no. Texas could not do anything against that and got some lucky plays got some defensive plays and just the last thing on that game we could talk I, I took so many notes and didn't even get a chance to talk about it but the one thing that I want to hit on before I move on to the next the next thing is that Texas was able to make that game 24 to 23 on a tight end throwback play and late in the game and for whatever reason tom herman did not go for two and that is unacceptable as a head coach because number one texas had no business even having a chance to win that game yet all they need is a two-point conversion to steal a win and you you don't go for it that's that's bad coaching and if i was a texas fan at that point i would have been incredibly disappointed with tom herman because what do you want to go to overtime with that awful offense against sam darnold that was incredibly ridiculous. The fact that he didn't go for two on the road in a game they had no business even being being close to winning.
0: Yeah, I uh, I I'll agree with you in the sense that I that if I was coaching that team, I probably would have gone for it. I don't think it's as egregious as you say it is. I mean, in any time you decide that you're just going to go to overtime instead of, you know, actually risking losing the game, I don't think it's a it's a terrible call, but I would I have gone for gone for two most likely, but I'm not I, I'm I'm not going to give him a pass for it, but I'm also not going to be as upset about it as you. Um, well, what do you and yeah.
1: I always talk about? And we haven't talked about it on the show at all. But as a head coach, you always have to have one to two, maybe even three, just money plays in your back pocket for two point conversion calls. Sure, but that doesn't—that's when you have to bring it up. It I, mean, does, it, I mean, they actually ran it for the touchdown. They, yeah, the that tight end throwback. That was a money play. Is almost is almost indefensible. So, but you have to have at least one more for the two point conversion. So it, the way Texas's offense was, I can't believe they decided to go well, into I, overtime. I,
0: I'm guessing he, his his thought process was, you know, Texas probably did get, you know, Texas outplayed USC in the second half of the game. They didn't dramatically outplay them. Um, they weren't physically dominating them or anything like that. So, so I'm assuming in his head he was thinking, hey, we we you know we've gotten the we gotten the best of this team for these last two quarters. I think we can do it again in overtime. I wouldn't have had the same calculus he did you know whatever I, i'm glad texas lost i don't want texas to win or anything but um yeah I, I don't know if it's as egregious i don't know if it's as obvious as a call as you're making it seem to be but but i think I, I think they probably should have gone for it just be just because i mean why not you're you're a big underdog you know you're on the road in a game that no one thought you were gonna win you know exactly for, that's yeah. why
1: you go for two so, yeah I mean, there's and, no downside to going for two you're i I'm you're supposed mean, to lose the game anyways
0: yeah, yeah. I guess with that logic, fine. I like again. I don't think it's as egregious as you're making it out to be. But just, I, it would but
1: do I, so much for the team, the confidence of the team moving forward. You get a win over a top four team on the road, and maybe it's it just. I thought that was a really weak move by Tom Herman. And I would, again, like I said, I'd be very disappointed if I was a Texas fan at that moment when when he did not go for two. Fair enough. All right, Grant. So quick. Thoughts on last week's Big 12 results. You and I discussed the TCU Oklahoma State result a bit on Monday, and you thought I was just crazy for not even thinking that TCU had a chance. And yeah, that's, yeah, okay, that's wild. Sure, me. I mean, yeah. football can anything can happen. But based on what I saw on film, Oklahoma State was a much better team than TCU. And after watching that game, I took a lot of notes. Remember you mentioned that it was a weird game between OU and Baylor. Yeah, it was a really weird game between Oklahoma State and TCU. If those teams played ten times, I think Oklahoma State would win eight out of ten times.
0: Maybe um, TCU I-
1: had the ball for forty minutes, and there were some just weird, bizarre reasons why they were able to hold the ball for that long. And uh, you got to give credit to TCU's running. Running game. They yeah, ran the ball in, in Oklahoma good. State's throat.
0: And their they're running backs, I thought, looked good. Uh, they looked quick. They they looked very Abdul Adams-like, I thought. Just very quick. A lot of explosiveness. Um, yeah, TCU is impressive. And, like, oh, I mean, I thought um, re-watching the game. I watched it last night. I kind of watched a condensed version of the game last night. And I... I'm telling you, in o- Oklahoma State, their first three games, they played Patsies. They played three bad teams, and Oklahoma State looked like a team that was surprised by how fast and athletic TCU's defense was. And it's a it, it's a patented Gary Patterson defense. They're undersized, but they're quick and they're fast. and, o- and Oklahoma State could not handle it. And
1: uh, uh, I, I don't know. They they had Oklahoma State had the football for 20 minutes in the game and still put up like 500 yards of offense. I mean, they they were they had and they were in position to to potentially win the game late in the game they're down by six sure they, just, they need to stop on third down so uh, tcu did not dominate oklahoma no state in it, that it game. was and not they, the whole Frogs got every single break they could possibly get and at the same time it was a good game plan it was a yeah, good game yeah. plan and testing oklahoma state's defense by running the clock and running the football was smart
0: sorry yeah i, I mean i don't i i don't want to give tcu too much credit um they still i i oklahoma state did not play well and i don't think that had everything i don't i don't think that was only just because of tcu i just thought oklahoma state just was flat for the most part did, did not come out and play well uh tcu is still a good team i mean if you go on the road and beat you know yeah. a, a top top 10 team by you know by 15 points 13 points and you're a good team and tcu they're they're going to do what they always do i think I don't think they're going to have a 2014 like season with Trevon Boykin and you know nearly get into the, the college football playoff just because I think Kenny Hill is really limited. But I, TCU is a good team. I I I don't think it's absurd to think you know that that they've overtaken Oklahoma State as as the second best team in the Big 12. And and how couldn't you say that they just went on you know Oklahoma yeah. State's field and beat them? No scoreboard. So, yeah.
1: All right, Grant. I don't really want to talk about West Virginia, Kansas, and Texas Tech, Houston. Do you have anything to say about them? I really just um, want to move on to this week's games.
0: N- nothing to say about West Virginia-Kansas. That's not surprising. I just We talked about Texas Tech-Houston a little bit, and pretty much all I have to say, the Texas Tech's defense apparently played really well, and that kind of shocks me. So we'll, we'll see if they can keep it up.
1: This week in the Big 12, Texas is a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Iowa State, and that's tonight. We recorded this on Wednesday, but it comes out Thursday, so I'm saying tonight. It's a Thursday night game. I haven't... Uh, I thought much about this. Honestly, I didn't know what the line was until I looked at the rundown. But man, I am taking Iowa State plus the six and a half points for sure. Are you kidding me?
0: Lee, I I have absolutely no idea where to lean on this game. I, I just I really don't know. I it's it really seems just like the perfect time for Texas to lose. Um, but I, I always feel like in college football, just when it seems like the perfect time for the for the, you know, the team that you want to lose, the 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 favored team that's going on the road when it's the perfect time for the lose, they just never do. Um, I, I think I, I just think there's there's too much talk about Iowa State winning this game. I think. I, I think I think Texas is gonna come out and play play good football. I just have a feeling they're going to. I think I think Iowa State, um, I think Iowa State can definitely win. I think almost they should win, actually, based off of what we've seen so far. But I just got a weird feeling. I think Texas is going to play well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose you take into account, I mean, Iowa State's got a good quarterback and their offense is supposed to be pretty good, but Texas' defense showed up against Texas uh, against USC and, and looks pretty good. So I guess you're th- if you take Iowa State to win this game, you're assuming that they're able to move the football and their defense is going to be able to be good enough to slow down the awful Texas offense. So we'll see what happens in that we'll one. See. Ba- Baylor... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Baylor, coming off the close game against Oklahoma, takes on Kansas State and Manhattan. That'll be interesting, considering Kansas State looked poor against Vanderbilt a couple weeks ago, and of course Baylor played their best game of the year last week. So I, it'd, it'd be surprising if Baylor's able to beat Kansas State, but uh, I guess anything can happen, as we found out in the Oklahoma State TCU game. Yeah,
0: I, I think Kansas State's going to win, but I, I'm I am just really interested to see just kind of what happens in this one. This is one of those kind of just wait and see. Uh, I've I've kind of patented that approach. It's just like this is one of these games where I just kind of want to see what happens before I uh, before I form an opinion on anybody. But this is one of those. Like we saw Baylor play really well on Saturday against OU. I I like I'd like to see them do it again against Kansas State. Maybe it, you know OU fans can kind of take a deep breath a little bit if they do the same thing against K State on the road. And Oklahoma State is at
1: Texas Tech, a night game in Lubbock. The Pokes are nearly a ten point favorite. It's tough to lay almost ten points. Whenever, whenever you're facing Texas Tech in Lubbock at night, especially in a year where it looks like the Red Raiders might actually be pretty, pretty solid. Uh, always solid on offense, but potentially solid on defense. So, it's it's really difficult to take the Cowboys and lay the points here. Even though I do think Oklahoma State still, even after that TCU game, I think Oklahoma State's a really good football team, and it's still like a, c- close to being a top ten team.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree. I actually, I think Oklahoma State is gonna is is gonna whoop up on them. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I think they're gonna come out and I think they're gonna destroy Texas Tech. I think it's gonna be one of those games where everyone's really excited for Texas Tech. Oh yeah, we have a you know we have an opponent coming in who's coming off a loss, a, a top 15 team who's vulnerable, and I think they're just gonna show up and just get absolutely run off the field. I think I think Oklahoma State's gonna destroy them.
1: Top 10 talk <laughs> this week, and I gotta say, I have two new teams in my top 10. So that's a tease.
0: I also have two new teams in my top 10. So I don't know if if that's much of a tease also. I wonder if we wonder, I'm assuming we probably have the same teams, the two new ones, but I, there's only one way to find out. So who wants to start? I'll start. Uh number 10 I have TCU. Okay? Any How about you? Oh, you don't have any any sort of explanation for TCU at 10 or?
1: Well, I I wanted to include Oklahoma State in this top 10 but I think it didn't make any sense considering that TCU just beat Oklahoma State and I thought TCU was not better than anybody else in this top 10 so I by default I had them at number 10
0: okay fair enough uh my number 10 team Lee is USC um Kind of went back and forth for about five minutes uh, to drop them out of the top ten, actually. So I almost had three new top ten teams. I was going back and forth between them and Wisconsin at number ten. And actually, now that I've had more time to reflect on it, I wish I actually would have would have dropped USC out and put Wisconsin there. Um, USC, I, I just I, I I as of right now, I, I don't I don't I think it's fair to assume that they're patsies. They haven't played anybody, and they haven't really been that impressive against anyone they they were impressive against stanford but stanford followed that up with with the loss of san diego state we don't know how good stanford is um sam darnold has has not been good this year at all i think anybody who's still talking about him for for the heisman or you know being the best quarterback in the country is just is on drugs to be honest with you and he's been he's he's been he's been average to slightly above average this year
1: yeah i gotta say the games i've watched him play and i've watched him play western michigan bit of Stanford and all of the Texas game and yeah he has not really flashed that much at all Uh, he didn't play particularly well against Texas didn't play particularly well against Western Michigan played all right played well against Stanford but how good is Stanford we're not really sure about
0: that yet Grant who's your number nine team my number nine team Lee is TCU and I'm just I I'm I'm still a little iffy on them Um, I, I think that's where I also had Oklahoma State so my basically my calculus is I just just switched places with them
1: all right at number nine I have Washington, and I've had Washington at number nine, I think, every single time we've done this top ten. So, the Huskies, uh, I take that back. The first one, I had them at ten. So, they've jumped up one spot in all the weeks, and the Huskies are solid. They just keep doing doing their job, but all the other teams ahead of them in my poll, I just don't think Washington would be able to beat them on a neutral field. So, that's why I have Washington at number nine.
0: Uh, and- Lee, my number... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Are you going to do eight first? Or? Yeah, yeah,
1: I'll, I'll do eight. Uh, okay, perfect.
0: Number eight for me
1: is the same team I had at eight last week. Let me double check. Nope, nope, I take that back. Last week I had Oklahoma State at number eight. So my eight team this week is Michigan. I think Michigan may have found a quarterback better than Wilton Spate. And his name, O'Corn, John O'Corn came in for Wilton Spate and made some plays against Purdue that Wilton Spate would not have made. And I think if Wilton Spate would have not gotten injured in that game, Purdue would have beaten Michigan. So if – and this sounds terrible. Michigan fans probably want, want Wilton Spate to either take his time coming back from injury or just straight up have Jim Harbaugh give the starting job away because I think O'Corn gives Michigan a better chance to win.
0: Well, I'm sure if O'Corn stays in there and, and continues to play well, I'd assume the job is his. I mean they didn't even they uh, O'Corn and, and Spate actually had a quarterback battle during during camp, so it's not like Spate was the was the presumed start. I think he was the presumed starter, but they at least made uh, made the competition open, so it's not like he was entrenched there. So if O'Corn continues to play well, I, I I just have to assume the job is his. Um Lee, my number eight team is Washington. You just talked about them. I think you know they've they've been the most consistent, most impressive team in the Pac-12 so far, outside of Washington State. Uh, Washington State is also knocking on the door of the top ten. They uh, they welcome in USC on Friday night, but we'll we'll get to that game later. All
1: right, who's number seven for you?
0: My number seven team is new to the top ten, the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, I I you know what I, I actually don't really think. Uh, Georgia is, is a top 10 team um, I, I just I'm not going to fall for the Georgia hype I'm just not going to um, they still have a true freshman quarterback and I I will concede uh, that they have two pretty impressive victories on the road at Notre Dame and then they just they, they spanked a Mississippi State team that that beat the hell out of LSU um, so I think I'm going to put Georgia here just based off of their resume um, I, I, I don't expect them to be here over the course of the year although they do play in the incredibly weak SEC East so you never really know
1: all right. At number seven, I have Penn State. And Penn State, we're both not very high on them. Penn State, man, I, that offense is, I said it weeks ago, it's still the same. It's all Saquon Barkley. If Saquon Barkley misses time, that offense will look like garbage. Uh, Trace McSory's not beating anybody. I will say, though, I will give Trace McSory a lot of credit. He looked fantastic in the last drive of the game where Penn State needed him to come through. He made a lot of plays on that last drive, and that last touchdown pass was perfect. But I have Penn State at number seven because I don't think they're better than the teams above them on this list. And really, uh, I think they're almost like a one-man team. And when you're a one-man team and it's not your quarterback, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. Well, uh, I will get to uh to Penn State a couple couple of spaces uh, later on my list, Lee.
1: all right number six team for me did you give your seven team sorry yeah Georgia okay I, it was, so it was n- Georgia number six for me is USC and yes they haven't been very impressive. I had them at four last week I dropped them a couple spots but I still think that they're better. I think if USC and Penn State played I think USC would win that game I just think USC's offense would be able to give something to Penn State Penn State's defense hasn't seen a whole lot. And I think that USC's defense would be able to slow down Penn State's offense enough. Um, I think USC would beat Michigan because even though Michigan's defense is great, I just don't, again, I'm, I'm very down on Michigan's offense, even though it looks a little bit better with O'Korn. But anyways, that's why I have USC at six. I I, did, I couldn't drop them too terribly far down like you did.
0: Okay. I think that's fair. Um, my, uh, my number six team, Lee, is Ohio State. Um, and you know what? They're just everyone just get used to it they're just going to keep marching up and up and up until all of a sudden they're going to be in the top four and nobody's going to realize how they got there they're going to be like wait wait didn't they lose earlier this year it's going to be that same thing uh sooner fans start getting used to the idea that we might see them again just just all i want to say
1: all right grant who do you have at number five
0: my number five team lead is penn state um and i i I I know I've I've been very vocal about Penn State. I think they're kind of a pretender, but I will give them credit this week. Um, I will always give you credit uh, for going on the road in conference at night and beating uh, at least a a solid team, which Iowa is. Um, And they did it with a lot of moxie, a lot of composure, and I think that is definitely worth something. Um, How they won that game on Saturday night is how a top five team operates. Um, So I'm going to give them credit for that, and I'm going to put them in the top five.
1: And number five is my other new team in the top ten. I got the Georgia Bulldogs at number five, Grant. Man, they look really good against Mississippi State. Yeah, they did. Jake, Jake Fromm looks like a really good quarterback, and they don't ask him to do a whole lot. They ask him to just kind of manage the offense. But whenever he throws and he's and he does, he's not handing it off to Nick Chubb or what's the other guy's name? Uh, Sony Michelle Sony Sony Michelle when he's not handing it off to those two running backs he's dropping back and throwing very accurate passes to his receivers who are pretty athletic and good Georgia I think is a good football team and it's nice that they're actually in the east because they probably aren't going to beat Alabama, but at least the SEC title game—I don't think—is going to be a total walkover for the Crimson Tide this year because Georgia's going to easily win the East, not even close. They're easily the best team in that that side of the division, yeah. Or that side of the conference.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I reserve my right to change my mind on Georgia as the season goes along. For instance, if they if they go that
1: defense too, that yeah. defense looks awesome against Mississippi if they,
0: State. If they go in, uh, I a lot of my opinion on Georgia is going to be formed this week when they go to Knoxville. Um, Tennessee is a team that's uh, that's. I mean, Tennessee not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination, but they're also not good. They're one of those teams that, you know, a top five team like you have Georgia should go into Knoxville and, and kind of beat the crap out of Tennessee. Um, and if they do, then I think that'll be impressive. They'll they'll definitely uh, that'll definitely check one of my boxes. So I, I'm definitely in a wait and see mode with Georgia, but they're definitely interesting.
1: All right, are you up on your number four team now? Yes. Or did you give? Okay. Yeah, my turn. Who's your number four? Team? My
0: number four team, Lee, is Michigan. And so I, I will be very vocal about how much I like Michigan. I, I do think Ohio State is a better team, um, but I just I, I'm a huge fan of Harbaugh. Um, I, I I disagree with your assessment earlier with Wilton Spade. If he would have kept playing the game, they would have lost. Purdue did absolutely nothing on offense in that game. Um, they would have they would have turned over Purdue eventually and scored. Um, that's that Michigan I think might may have the best defense in the country.
1: Michigan defense held Purdue to ten yards in the second half. That's insane. <laughs> uh number four for me let's go really fast with these grand i gotta get going yeah, sure number four is is ohio state ohio state led 37 to nothing with nine minutes to go in the second quarter last week against you and lv ohio state's really good they're better than penn state they're better than michigan ohio state is so so poorly ranked at number 11 it's dumb in the AP poll. at number three or three through one the same as it's been yes. i think it's gonna be the same yes. for us uh, oklahoma clemson alabama
0: for for the same reasons uh that's i think that's th- That that's the obvious top three up to this point this season. There's doesn't need to be a whole lot of discussion about it.
1: All right, we gotta do these picks really fast. Last week, Grant, you were three and three. I was four and two. Worth mentioning, you are now two for two in games that you did not have enough balls to call an upset on.
0: But I did point out that there could be an upset there. So (laughs) I'm gonna and and I said last week that even if it does happen, I'm gonna take all the credit for it. Like I did call it. So I called it. So whatever. And the game in question, of course, was. North Carolina state and Florida state. I said that could be an upset, but I don't have enough balls to call it. North Carolina state did upset Florida state.
1: Shh, and I apologize to Deandre Francois for underestimating how much of a effect he had on the Florida state offense, because the Seminoles looked awful against NC state. So this week, Miami at Duke. Oh man. I, I know you said Duke's offense is limited. I think you're, you're, you're going too hard on Duke's offense against Baylor. Duke actually has a, a, a top offense. Like it's highly ranked, believe it or yeah, not. I know. Um, you know, I know we're just picking winners here. You know, I'm going to take Duke. I'm going to take Duke at home on Friday to upset Miami.
0: Okay, I'll take Miami. Um, I, I don't think you're stupid at all for taking Duke. In fact, I think actually my my gut leans towards Duke, but I'm just going to go a, go against you because I'm not totally totally sold, so I'll just go with Miami. USC
1: at Washington State in Pullman on Friday night. Um, I mean, everyone's picking Washington State to win this game just because how poorly USC looks. So, I'm going to go with the public. Totally a terrible move, but I'm going to do it. Washington State's only favored by three and a half points. That's, wow, I, I figured it'd be a little higher. Or, I, I'm sorry, I, I figured I figured USC would be getting more. I'm sorry, USC is favored by three and a half points. I figured that
0: USC would be favored by more, to be honest with you. Yeah, I did too, which means they, what Vegas only thinks USC is, is about a touchdown better than Washington State. Um, so... Yeah, I, literally everyone is picking Washington State, which surprises me because the media was all over USC at the end of the year. This is kind of them going back because they realize that maybe that was a stupid pick to put, you know, that much onto such a young team that doesn't have a lot of good players. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm actually going to take USC. That was a little too harsh. Um, I, I just everyone's going, uh, you know, in Washington State's camp. I'm just going to go with USC just because, uh, you know, they are going to have the better quarterback in the game. So I will go with them.
1: Georgia at Tennessee only chance Tennessee has is if Georgia has a a a huge letdown after the big win over Mississippi State I can't pick Tennessee I'll pick the Bulldogs
0: yeah uh, I'm gonna go with the Bulldogs too um Lee uh this is my game that I don't have enough balls to call an upset on by the way this week um it would just be so Georgia if they lost this game and what it would it actually surprise anyone if 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 Tennessee beat Georgia I, I don't
1: uh, yeah it surprised me because Butch Jones is a bad head coach and Tennessee's not very good yeah
0: but would it just be perfect is that all of these Tennessee fans I think Tennessee fans want to lose this game so Butch Jones will be gone can you can, <laughs> can, can you imagine Tennessee fans wanted to lose the UMass yeah and they always oh, yeah. did C- can you imagine like you know Butch Jones is just is just going to pull this game out of his ass and it's going to be just some some yeah, some miraculous play that some one of his players thing, makes yeah. and it's it's going to buy him an extra year And that sound you just heard was the entire city of Knoxville just groaning.
1: Oklahoma State at Texas Tech. I think Oklahoma State's a really good football team. I'm not going to pick against them. I'll take the Pokes. If I took
0: Oklahoma State earlier, that's what I'm going to do.
1: And finally, Clemson at Virginia Tech. Sneaky great game. I'm not sure how good Virginia Tech is, though, but the Hokies are at home. But I like Clemson. I think Clemson had kind of a a letdown game against Boston College for the first half and maybe even the third quarter, but then pulled away against Boston College last week. I'll take the Tigers to beat the Hokies. I'm going to take
0: Clemson, Lee. Uh, Lee Virginia Tech's quarterback is a true freshman that spells Ooh, that boy. spells trouble against uh, Clemson which which could have I don't know I just said Michigan has the best defense in the country Clemson could have the best defense in the country uh, just not not a good situation for a true freshman especially a guy who who really throws horizontally and not vertically a lot uh, I just I don't think Virginia Tech's going to move the ball really at all Okay, that's it for the
1: picks. Hope you enjoyed episode 10 of West of Everest. Try to enjoy week five of the college football season sans OU football. We'll be back next week with reaction and a deep dive into Iowa State. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.